the Denver Sports Tonight. Taking a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. From your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rise, and more. DenverSports.com. Denver Sports tonight on this Wednesday night in the Mile High City. He's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. We'll roll with you for the next hour. It's parade day tomorrow. Mace, our second one in 351 days. That's a nice change from the one parade we had in 21 years, the uh, Broncos after Super Bowl 50. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking it's like two parades in the last 351 days. Even like three parades in the last seven and a half years is still a pretty darn good rate. Most sports towns would kill to have three parades in fewer than eight years. Well, three in fewer than eight years, and we didn't have one from 01 to 2016. That was quite a drought from the Ray Bork Avs to the Peyton Manning Broncos. That's a long time. Of course, you go some places like uh, the Twin Cities, for example. They've got all four of the big four sports plus Major League Soccer with Minnesota United. Minneapolis-St. Paul hasn't had a parade since fall of 1991. And they got the big four. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if Denver's a pretty good place to be is what I'm saying uh, based on the recent accomplishments. You've got three titles for the Broncos, three for the Avs since 96. Now the Nuggets are in there. Even the Rapids have their title. I shouldn't forget the Mammoth because I didn't mention them in my tweet a couple of nights ago when I heard a lot of Mammoth, Mammoth, Mammoth. Okay, there. There's your shout-out. Really, only the Rockies are uh, kind of bringing up the rear there among existing Denver Pro Sports franchises. And you're you're wearing a Rockies shirt. Yeah, shout-out to my friend Jenny Kavnar. Uh, yes. It's her tagline on here. It's a nice shirt. Looks good. Yeah, fire up the fountains. The only problem, Mace, little peek behind the scenes, is do you know who the player is on said shirt? Stokely would burn it. I'll put it that way. Golden Arenado? No, it is one. <laughs> Nolan Arenado, who uh, we won't spend more than 30 seconds on this, but he had a little meltdown today after the Cardinals blew another lead, so I was not sad to see that. Cardinals are the worst team in the National League. That's saying something. Yes. When your Colorado Rockies are jockeying with it. Your Colorado Rockies have won two from the Boston Red Sox this week, and, uh, uh, and so... They're, in a They're doing all right. They're doing all right. They're in a rain delay right now, hoping moment. to get another one in in Boston tonight. But Mace, we're going to talk plenty of nuggets. I promise, because we got to. We're, we're going to talk parade tomorrow. Who we want to hear from? All that fun stuff. But it was a huge day at the Broncos today. A lot of news coming out. I know you were down there covering it, and we have to remember, folks. It's been so nuggets heavy, and rightfully so. But the Broncos will have a short practice tomorrow, and then we will not hear from them until training camp. This yeah. is it for the next six weeks. So. They flew under the radar, which I think Sean Payton liked. But now that it was sort of a Broncos day, if you will, this gap in between the Nuggets winning it and the championship, we're going to talk a lot of Broncos. So I'll just throw it to you. Hit me with it. Biggest thing that jumped off the page today at Broncos minicamp. I'll tell you what. The biggest thing is, and I know this isn't like a specific, oh, this player's doing X, this player's doing Y. It's how intense things are. Today felt more like a practice that you would see a few days into training camp when the newness of getting back to work there has worn off and it starts to get a little bit, not so much physical, but tempers start to flare. So this is the opposite of Camp Hackett is what you're telling me. Yes. 
And of course, you know, one thing that we 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 can see a lot of from Sean Payton, he likes to gather his team for a big huddle during practice. Mm. He's, there are things that he wants to say. Sometimes it's planned. Sometimes it's reacting to what's going on. And today there was a you know little bit of a dust up out there. And uh, as Sean Payton said, he used the word chippy unquote. And uh, and then he basically said, look. Players have to understand you got to get to the edge, but you can't go across that line. And that was sort of his kind of teachable moment today was guys playing with fervor and intensity, but not letting it boil over the way that at one point today it did boil over. Okay, so are we calling it a a fight or a scuffle or a scrap? What's the word to call it? A dust-up. A dust-up. So Small Donnybrook. Do you like... That they got the first dust-up out of the way before training camp. I actually think that's a good thing. I think it is, too. Do that stuff now, and hopefully it's more preventable six weeks from now because Peyton could address it today as opposed to it happening in front of 5,000 fans uh, come, say, late July, early August. Yeah, now that being said, I mean, I think you'll see some scuffles in training camp. Uh, Sean Payton's training camps in New Orleans did have their share of scuffles. He's going to let... He's going to let guys kind of sort things out as as it goes on. And part of being a coach is knowing intrinsically when to let it go and when to step in. And you know, it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty fine line, but the the thing that you don't the, the thing that you don't want is you don't want to see other players getting involved like if it's like a couple of guys going at each other. You kind you want the fire to be contained there, right? You don't want it to be like all out chaos. Like last year when the Broncos and Cowboys had their joint practice mm. over at Broncos headquarters, and it it got out of hand. Randy Gregory was helping fuel those flames, even though he wasn't he practicing. Wasn't practicing and he, in a big way that that thing over on the uh, Broncos defense versus Cowboys offense field it got out of control. All right, so they sort of get that out of the way, although more still to come, if you will. Long way to go, yes. Uh, Some other bullet points from today that caught my eye, and I want your thoughts on it. Sean Payton makes it abundantly clear there will not be a field day tomorrow. Yes. Fill us in. Are you happy, neutral, or do you think they should have had one? I'm neutral on it. I mean, I think there are some teams for which a field day type of thing can be positive and others for which it is not. I I think the thing that happened here is, first of all, the field day isn't a reason why the Broncos have had six consecutive losing seasons, all right? They didn't go 7-9 and with Vic Fangio in 2019 because he called off the last day of practice for a field day. They didn't go 7-10 and in 2021 for that reason. They didn't go 5-12 and last year because Nathaniel Hackett decided to have fun and games on the last day, all right? I think we put too much on that. That being said, it does sort of serve as a symbol, right? Mm. A symbol that, okay, you've had these losing seasons, and here you've got a chance to practice. And you've got limited opportunities to practice in the offseason. You've got, you know, you've got your, your OTA phase three, which is you get three practices, three practices, four practices over um, – over three weeks. So you got 10 practices there, and then you get three mandatory mini camp days. And literally, and I said mandatory because these three days, they're the only days that are mandatory. That's it. 
If players want to skip out on the rest of it, they could. No harm, no foul uh, in the eyes of the NFL and the NFLPA. But if you miss these days and you're under contract, you get fined. Okay. Was that Melvin Gordon, Brandon McManus real quick? Did they miss these ones? I think they were there. Were they? Mandatory, yeah. Okay, because a lot got made about Melvin, but I guess we're late enough Melvin, in the summer now. Melvin he did Gordon, show up for Melvin these. Gordon didn't do the voluntary stuff. He did the mandatory stuff. Okay. So I don't know if he ate the fine because he just didn't want to be here all that much, but whatever, carry on. Well, he's got his own training thing going on. That's That was his thing. Yeah, well, Melvin still didn't have a job. So. Your, fel- your favorite ex-Bronco. How'd that work out for him? <laughs> he got a ring. The least worthy <laughs> ring recipient of all time. Oh, come on. I've got a Super Bowl ring. I didn't even play. I didn't even practice. Mm, I would venture to say you are more well-liked in this town than Melvin Gordon. Okay. <laughs> he, he's not going to say no. I'm not, I'm not going to. Let's face it. I'm not going to disagree with that. I'm sorry. All right. I'm getting you off the rails here. Yes. I'm getting you off the rails. So no field day tomorrow. I agree with you, Mace, that I think the field day set the tone for, hey, Nathaniel Hackett's brand new here. Yeah, you guys can just mess around under his watch. Mm-hmm. And, and and we saw it in training camp. I mean, training camp was pathetic in terms of the amount of effort that was given. And I don't blame the players. I blame the coaching staff because they let them get away with it. Well, last year, that training camp was, it was like the great experiment, right? Okay, we're not going to have seven-on-seven periods. Mm. We're going to take every third practice, or it wasn't every third, but it was basically once every three practices, and we're going to do this at a jog-through tempo. We're not going to play anybody in any anybody of first-team value, basically, in the preseason except for a couple of spot guys. Like Jonas Griffith is a, was a starter heading, heading into camp. They play him in the preseason, he gets hurt. Um, so you had all these things going on, you know, some of them have been done to a degree of success. I mean, certainly the Rams uh, not practicing in the pre, not playing their starters in the preseason that hasn't hurt them any over the last few years. So you had all these things coming together. It and so because of that, in the end, you had this training camp that was this like Frankenstein's monster of all these new age ideas, and. And it blew up in their it face. It did. It did because you had a team that was unprepared. I was, you know, I was talking among as uh, DMAC would call us the Muggles. A few of Muggles uh, and I were talking today. And uh, recalling how last year they go to Buffalo, which has had a more traditional training camp and is actually playing its starters in the preseason. So they go to Buffalo for that second preseason game. And man alive. They got the stuffing knocked out of them. That game was tough to watch. Buffalo basically, as much as you can do in the preseason, punched them right in the mouth. And I had to remind myself as a fan, I'm watching a preseason game, I'm right. watching a preseason game, I'm watching a preseason game, and I was still ticked off, so much so that Nathaniel Hackett apologized for their play. Right, that's the thing. It's not like, Now, knowing what we came to know over the rest of the season, I think that came to have even more significance, but even then, you had the coach apologizing for the team's form that day. But at the same time, I think one of the reasons why they they had that form was they weren't really as tested at that point as the Buffalo Bills were. Sean Payton did get the field day question today. Here's what he says the plans are for tomorrow at the Centura Health Training Center. Yeah, we we have a practice 
Um, now, the, the, the time constraints tomorrow are much different. Um, basically, there's X number of hours they give you for three days. We took the big chunks yesterday and today. Tomorrow will be a much shorter practice, but it'll be practice. But it'll be practice. There's the key There's the key answer there. It's, it's not dunk tank. It's not potato sack race. It's not a food truck. It's practice. Yeah, it is. Now, they can... Again, they have a limited number of hours there. There, they did the longer stuff today. They'll do so. Basically, tomorrow, I think it's going to be very light on the meetings, and they're going to have their practice, and that's it. Uh, how it how it ends up looking, we'll see. Maybe it becomes a, a ball cap day. But you know what? Uh, ball cap days were actually something that we saw when Peyton Manning was here. Mm. Um, that last day, John Fox, Peyton Manning, or and then Gary Kubiak with Peyton Manning. Frequently, we saw. Okay, they'd go at kind of a, a lesser tempo, but they were still out there doing something. They were still out there getting in work. And I would say, based on what we have seen so far, there are some promising things that we've witnessed in the practices to date, but you're ingesting a new scheme on the offensive side. Uh, you've got Vance Joseph on the defensive side incorporating things that he knows with stuff that's being held over. He talked a little bit about that today, and players have talked about that as well, how he's, you know, how, how it's not simply just him coming in and saying this this is how we're doing it. It's bringing in some stuff from last year as well. That's where somebody like Christian Parker, defensive backs coach, really is helpful. They kept, He's one of the two defensive coaches they kept on, and because of that you can say, okay, let's let's dive into things schematically coverage-wise and let's incorporate some of these that we know these guys can execute pretty well. Well, I'm glad you mentioned VJ because, yeah, the intensity is great and no field day is very interesting. But VJ, to me, may have been the story of the day, Mace, because this is a head coach who got fired after two pretty bad seasons, 11 and 21 in his two seasons here in Denver. He goes to Arizona for four years. He's the coordinator of the Cardinals. And in the meantime, Vic Fangio can't fix it. Nathaniel Hackett can't fix it. And a lot of evidence points towards it wasn't VJ's fault because it's not like he walked out the door and all of a sudden the Denver Broncos returned to what we know the Denver Broncos as. They've stunk uh, since VJ left the last four years, and he is now back. First time we hear from him today, here's his quote about coming back to Denver. No hard feelings. For me, Mike, it was... It, it was never that, right? It was it was a fair process, right? It's a league of winning. So if you don't win, it's going to be changed. So it was never personal for me. You know, I came here and, you know, I worked my butt off and it didn't work. You know, and I'm back now and that's my focus, to play great defense for Sean and to win games. So I've never had it in my heart, leaving even four years ago. Man, I love that answer so much. And I wrote about it at denversports.com. He said, it's a league of winning. I didn't win. That's why they fired me, and I didn't take it personally. Round of applause to VJ for what I thought was the answer of the day, Mace. That is a guy who gets it, and I am rooting him on as the D.C. An incredibly magnanimous answer because those of us who were around then, whether you were in media or in the building, know that there were things that went wrong for Vance Joseph that doomed him that were beyond his control. And he has taken the high road both in Arizona and today whenever the past was brought up. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. When Sean Payton talks about three or four coaches on his staff who he sees as becoming head coaches in the NFL, 
I'm quite certain one of the ones he's talking about is Vance Joseph. Yeah, a, a likely candidate to get another chance, particularly if the Broncos' defense continues to perform at a high level like it did. All right, so let's talk about VJ being back. I know he mentioned Justin Simmons and Josie Jewell today. Is that the extent of his familiarity with this defense? And do you think that helps him, hurts him? Because Simmons has gotten even way better since VJ left town. And Josie Jewell, I think, has gotten significantly better since VJ left town. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to take him long to, to get up to speed with everybody else. And also, he's got a guy, Zach Allen, on the defensive line who he worked with in Arizona. Good and point. VJ had a lot to do with Zach Allen coming in, effectively to replace Draymond Jones on the defensive line. So... I think he's he's got a pretty good sense of uh, of what he's got there. Again, you have a couple of holdover coaches, Marcus Dixon on the defensive line, Christian Parker in the defensive backfield. They're they are playing a part as well in terms of getting uh, of getting him up to speed and getting him familiar with the players that he's got. But his Arizona experience is interesting because there were a couple of players there. Uh, it, that it's fascinating to look at how they were used. Start with Isaiah Simmons. They drafted him in 2020 out of Clemson. And for about a year, year and a half, you could tell they're trying to figure out how to make the most of his talent. Is he you know, a guy who could be a safety, a linebacker, inside, or the edge? Yeah, how, do, how do we get the most out of this guy who seems kind of positionless? And gradually, even though Simmons, I think, has been compared to what some – Pundits thought of him going into the draft has been a little bit of a disappointment. Gradually, he's kind of found his role as a higher, as more of a hybrid spot. And then you fast the next guy, another high draft pick that they have later on is Zayvon Collins, and he figured out really well how to make use of Zayvon Collins, who's got quite the multidimensional skill set. And where that's significant is what we see in in how Drew Sanders their early third-round pick ends up evolving here as a Bronco. I think VJ is prepared to make the most use of some players who are more hybrid types because he learned from some ups and downs and figuring it out with a couple of fairly unique skill sets in Arizona, how to maximize those guys without completely you know, messing up what everybody else on the defense was doing. And that's so long-term, that's something to keep an eye on and why VJ, I think, might succeed here. So good experience for sure because you and I both know Drew Sanders is going to be a key part of the Denver defense. With all due respect to Marvin Mims, I think Drew Sanders is the most important rookie on this Broncos roster, particularly with Baron Browning getting the scope and Sanders. We always hear hybrid and the 10.5 sacks at Arkansas. Could he go outside sooner rather than later? I mean, a guy like Sanders... Mace, I'm gonna be honest. That could that that could be a guy that could jump Nick Benito like that. Like we we may see something like that if if VJ can develop him like he developed those guys in Arizona, like you talked about. Yeah, and then another guy who is a holdover but is is flashing and somebody that Sean Payne talked about today was Jonathan Cooper. Who you go back a couple of years ago, he drops to the seventh round because of a heart condition. Mm. If not for that, we're talking about him being picked. Roughly in the same area as Baron Browning, probably late third, early fourth round pick. And you just look out there, and he's pretty disruptive. Now Peyton said, okay, you get the pads on, we'll see what he's got. Well, we've seen flashes over the last couple of years, preseason and regular season, that show that when the pads go on for Jonathan Cooper, he's still really explosive. So that's something to keep your eye on as well between Sanders and Cooper Baron Browning, if he ends up going into the 
regular season on the pup list and missing those first four games of the year, as well as he's going to start camp, of course, on the pup. If Baron Browning's absence extends into the regular season, he might come back and see a little bit of the the Wally Pip effect here. Mm. He might see some of his reps now landing in the laps of Jonathan Cooper and Drew Sanders. Okay, now refresh me on Cooper real quick. Was he the guy two years ago, Thursday night football in Cleveland, who was in the backfield like six or seven times? I'm just having these flashes of Jonathan Cooper having a game up against the Browns, an ugly Thursday night football game where the Browns were without a lot of key playmakers and the Broncos still lost. And I know he didn't get the sacks because we'd all remember the game if Cooper had walked out the field with two and a half, three, four sacks. But I just feel like I remember a Jonathan Cooper game where he he made life heck for whoever yeah, was under center he had that three night. quarterback hits on Case Keenum that night. Okay, so my memory was your memory was perfect. My memory was right on that. That was the night where the inside linebackers were getting shredded, but Jonathan Cooper off the edge was having a heck of a game. So and he's somebody as well who can rotate inside. So Drew Sanders is an inside guy who can play on the edge. And Coop is an edge guy who can move on to the interior. And, I mean, I, I think they're going to find snaps for him. So VJ is going to have ingredients to cook with. He is. And, mm-hmm. and we'll have to see, you know, when he was the head coach, obviously the offense was a problem. The defense wasn't much better. But he can be uh, more focused on the defense and I think that will be good, VJ and Sean Payton as a team. Mm-hmm. Here's a little more VJ today on why he chose to come back to Denver. Absolutely. I mean, Sean's been great, obviously. But to have a chance to work with Sean Payton was, you know, it was a good thing, obviously. I had some choices, you know, after leaving Arizona. But Denver being home, you know, it's just a great place, great fan base. We have a home here still. So for me, it was home. And um, outside of working with Sean, it was it was. A perfect spot for me. Now, one of those rumored destinations was the Philadelphia Eagles, who were perhaps a, a bogus flag away from winning the Super Bowl. Do you take VJ at his face value there that he had options and that he maybe did turn down a, a chance to go chase a ring this year to to come back home to Denver? I take him at face value. I mean, of course, he also mentions the fact they still have a this family still has a home here. I think uh, it was the combination of working with Sean Payton. And getting back to a place that is near and dear to his heart and his family's heart. I think it it was the best mix of everything for Vance Joseph. That's why he's here. I mean, you can go Philadelphia and obviously you're, you know, you're right there going to a team that uh, is certainly the favorite to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. But over the long haul, this might be a better situation. Also, if you're VJ, you're working under Sean Payton. And he, he talked about what he's learning being around Sean Payton. I mean, it's basically a kind of a master's level education that he's getting from being around uh, Payton. It's a, it's different for him than, you know, he's been around Gary Kubiak, of course, working in uh, in Houston before he came to Denver. It's a different kind of experience for, for Vance Joseph that I think is going to enhance him as a coach. All right. Well, it'll be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. VJ is back. Like I said, you can read about it at denversports.com. I absolutely loved his answer today. But coming up on the other side, we got to get to the offense because Joe Lombardi talked and he made it clear they're no longer all about Russell Wilson. It's Denver Sports Tonight on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. 
It is Denver Sports Tonight. Uh, he's Andrew Mason. I'm Will Peterson. Some good Broncos talk in the first segment. We are going to continue it here. I promise we'll put a bow on this thing with some nuggets and parade preview for tomorrow. But a lot of news coming out of the Centura Health Training Center today, Mace, including Joe Lombardi getting to the podium, new Broncos offensive coordinator. First time we had heard from VJ in his return. Obviously, fans are familiar with VJ when he was the head coach, but this is the first time that Broncos country is getting to know Joe Lombardi. Give us any sort of cliff notes on what uh, uh, fans need to to know about the new OC. Okay, he and Sean Payton go back, of course, to the time together in New Orleans. So, mm. even though he's been with the Chargers the last couple of years, calling plays for Brand Staley and uh, with Justin Herbert, I mean, his a, a lot of his influence uh, comes from Sean Payton, and there and so. When you look stylistically at the type of offense the Broncos, I think, would like to run long-term, I think you can kind of get a sense for it by watching the Saints. So when you watch, for example, the emphasis on slant, on slant routes, especially uh, you know Michael Thomas, the slant god, uh, that's the type of thing I think you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of as this offense tries to find its rhythm in the passing game. And those were really, really, really good offenses in New Orleans. Of course, it helped to have Drew Brees, but Drew Brees th- is so precise, and that's they, the thing. You got you're trying to get Russell Wilson to that level of precision, and that's going to determine, I think, whether he can be successful in this offense or not. Well, and it's interesting you bring up Russell Wilson because Joe Lombardi was asked about him today. And he didn't mince words. I'm reading uh, James Merrillat's article at denversports.com. Here's the quote from Lombardi on Russell Wilson. The answer for him is what the answer is for everyone. Work hard every day. Get your fundamentals down. Understand what you're trying to accomplish. Man, Mace, that is a lot different from all about Russ, a mantra of the Hackett coaching staff a year ago. Uh, Joe Lombardi today making it very, very clear. Russell Wilson's just one of the guys. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, like, there was some int- there was an interesting comment regarding Russell Wilson from Vance Joseph too. Okay, yeah, that was a Cecil Lammy question, I believe. It I saw was. Cecil what? asking, "quote Fans want to know, does Russ still have it?" unquote. And VJ's answer was, "quote Well, that's coach's job, obviously." But I played against Russ the last four years being in that division. He's always been a winner. He's a guy that can make plays with his legs and with his arms. We know where Russ can be. That's Coach's job, obviously, to get Russ back to where he wants to be, unquote. Wow, so no ringing endorsements from either coordinator today about Russ. It's very much that Russ has got work to do. And when it comes from the D.C., you know, it's fascinating because, like, you, like he said, he played against He kind of deferred. Him. He's like, that's Coach's job, referring to Sean. Right. Like, that's, yeah. But when it comes from the O.C., it wasn't, I'm so excited to work with Russ, and this is a dream job to work with Russ. We heard that time and time again from Hackett last year. Lombardi made it very clear today. Go work on your fundamentals and get better. Yeah, and he used a, he then, right after he talked about the answer for him being the answer for everyone, Lombardi said he's watched a lot of film on him. Quote, certainly we watched last year, see what happened. So a little bit of uh, you know both, whether it's 2022 focus or a clean slate focus. Quote, you want to see what a player does well, maybe what he struggled with, but you also don't want to make many too many assumptions. It's a new year, a new coaching staff, and new scheme. We have a lot of time to figure out the best plan forward for all these players, unquote. I, I mean, I'm reacting to this in real time with you, but the, the 180 this is from what Nathaniel Hackett preached about last year it, to what this is now is crazy. It was all about Russ last year. It was. It, it was from the, the moment... 
What was Hackett? It's Russell Wilson, y'all. And I got nervous. Almost, almost cussed. I, yeah. At the first press conference. I got nervous to meet Sierra. I got nervous to meet his wife. Like, it was so, it, it was so cringy in retrospect. It was a, it was fanboyish. It really was. And Russ doesn't have fans on this coaching staff. Now he has bosses. Yeah. He's got coaches. He's got people who are pushing him to try to make him better. Like, it's, you know, I think with last year, you had some buddy buddy, which, I think one of the things that stands out in retrospect was when Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett are both over in England on their vacations. They spent some time together. Uh, that's not that's not how it should work. No, it really isn't. I mean, even even Bill Belichick famously got on Tom Brady. You know, it, Did Bill Belichick and Tom Brady take any vacations together. I don't think Bill Belichick and Tom Brady particularly like each other, and it led to what six Lombardies. It worked out. Yeah. It's okay to have some tension. It's okay to, for it to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be pushed. I mean, this is this relationship appears more like a demanding teacher and a pupil that is trying to get back on track a little bit. And it's the kind of teacher that maybe when you walk out of the classroom, you're dog cussing that teacher because they're so hard on you. But then you get away from it down the line, you realize that teacher was just trying to get the absolute most out of you. That's what it feels like watching not only with Russ, but with the entire team. When I see Sean Payton interacting with Jerry Judy, and Judy alluded to this yesterday, I I see a teacher really trying to get the most out of a student. But a teacher that believes that that student can be more than they've shown and it's my job as a teacher to extract that from them. In terms of the Lombardi Peyton dynamic, Sean will call plays, correct? Yes. So what prevents us from saying, well, Lombardi's sort of Justin Outen 2.0 and we're not really sure what he does? Because that was the knock on Justin Outen. It was like, what, what does Justin Outen do? Lombardi's got a better resume than Justin Outen. I know that much. Well, Joe Lombardi running the offense frees Sean Peyton to go uh, bound around the practice field and, and teach. Hmm. Um, Whereas Hackett went and took handoffs from Russell Wilson because he thought it was funny, right? And then once Hackett handed off the, uh, you know, the play calling to Clint Kubiak, you watch Nathaniel Hackett and you're like, this guy isn't really sure what he is supposed to do out here. Yeah, that was that was the old office space. What would you say you do here? Yeah. Once the play calling left Hackett, no one was really sure what he did, and it was fascinating to watch that dynamic, and then. The moment they moved on from Hackett and Jerry Rossberg came as the in, as the interim head coach, and this was kind of the beginning. He's, you almost look at those two weeks of Rossberg as the start of this run, as the start of this era, because Rossberg walking around going to, okay, I'm going to the tight ends today. Where I'm, I'm going to give some instruction. I'm going to focus on, on them, on some individual work with them. I'm going to go to the guards today. I'm going to go to the tackles today. Like Ro, Jerry Rossberg would would was not shy about going where his position coaches were working and offering some extra teaching on an individual basis. That's what you see from Sean Payton like during individual periods is he goes and he, he talks to guys. Like, he, like he'll, go, uh, he'll go to Jerry Judy and, and make a point. He'll go to Greg Dulcich and make a point. Like, uh, you know, go to Brandon Johnson and say something, the, the, the young wide receiver. He's... He's all he's always teaching. And 
that's going to benefit them in a big way. Right. And I would say for those of you who are listening and you're planning on going out to training camp this year, as you're watching practice, those individual periods at the start of practice, take note of who Sean Payton is talking to and coaching. Because you see him with a, a, a specific player. Like yesterday, working with Pat Sertan on punt returns. Right. You, you see Sean Payton kind of pointing up as if he's kind of pointing out things about the trajectory of the ball and how to, and how to judge it and how to be in position for it. Sean Payton, that he is always teaching. Like that's, that's the thing. I think uh, we focus so much on him kind of as a coach and tactician that the thing that we've overlooked is that he is an incredibly gifted teacher of football. Definitely will help the Broncos this year. I do want to mention that you had a chance to talk to Mike Westhoff today. Uh, the 75-year-old who is an associate head coach will have a large emphasis on special teams. 41-year coaching vet. He's been around forever. 32 seasons of NFL experience. What did you take away from your chat with Westhoff? Particularly, why is he still doing this? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. First of all, he's retired uh twice formally like he retired from the Jets after the 2012 season and then a few years later Sean Payton reaches out during the season in 2017 when the Saints special teams are struggling reaches out and gets Westhoff to come and work with him in in 17 and 18 and of course in those years the Saints come within a Minneapolis miracle of being in one NFC championship game and they come within a a galactically bad call. Yep, against the Rams. Against the Rams. Uh, that's look. Let's not mince words. That Saints team should have been in the Super Bowl. Oh, Sean Payton could have had could have had three rings in New Orleans. Yes, and Mike Westhoff would they, have obviously had two of those. Yeah, they 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 kind of got robbed a little bit during Sean Payton's time. Just having one ring does not reflect how good that team was, and you know, and and over the long haul. But I digress. Westhoff, so he, so Westhoff is there for a couple of years. He's only coming out of retirement, I think, for on a full-time basis like this for Sean Payton. Okay. And the funny thing is they had not, again, they hadn't worked together before New Orleans. It's just a matter of Westhoff is so successful. There's so much respect for him around the league. Um, he's, you know, he's, people who've coached under him have gone on. Like Joe D. Camillus is, you know, is, is tight with, uh, with Mike Westhoff, for example. And it's interesting, like, he, when I'm talking with him, he's got kind of the diagrams in his hands. And you watch him. Here he is, age 75. And he is in firm command. Like, him, him and Ben Kotwika, they, they work well together as special teams coaches. But it's interesting, like, Kotwika can focus on one area and Westhoff can focus on another. But, you, like, you'll, hear, you'll be up all the way on top of the hill. You'll hear Westhoff barking out. Instructions. Okay. And he's actually responsible for a lot of like how kickoff coverage has evolved. Roger Goodell has joked about how the rule, the, the rules changes on kickoffs. A lot of them come from the success and how physical Mike Westhoff's special teams were over the years. You've got an all-timer as a special teams coach here with Mike Westhoff being, being in the building. I'll have more on in the next Probably next week or so, I'll write something uh, based on the conversation that I had with with Mike. But fascinating in a lot of ways, and uh, really one of the reasons why I like Sean Payton so much and what he could do is because he 
brought Westhoff back there as his right-hand man. All right, looking forward to checking it out at denversports.com. Uh, just another senior uh, leader for the Broncos with a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Sort of some Jerry Rosberg vibes, and I don't know Mike Westhoff yet, but we'll we'll find out if there's any similarities there. They're very similar in how they attack special teams, but their personalities are a bit different. But what they do share is how much they care about their players as people, not just players. All right, coming up next, it is parade day tomorrow. Mason and I will get you ready for our second parade in 351 days. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Denver Sports Tonight. Final segment of the show. Been fun talking Broncos today. We're going to obviously have you covered wall-to-wall for the Nuggets Parade tomorrow. Come see us down at the Sheridan as our all our shows will be live down there for the parade festivities. Even Denver Sports Tonight? No, 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 no. no. Denver Sports Tonight will be back here. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't How know. How did we draw the short straw for our uh, mm. DenverSports.com show? Uh, I, I'm not complaining. Let's put it that way. I'm not either. I, think, I think by 6 p.m., the the parade is wound down, and if you're still down there, you're in it for the long haul. And you do you. Have your fun. I'm not so sure a live broadcast is necessary at that point. I got to admit, I'm content covering the Broncos tomorrow and not dealing with the traffic. I will. Oh, uh, you know what? Come on, Mace. I'll, you don't want to see Jokic on stage. I'll watch, it on t- I'll watch it on TV. So you'll still get to see everything. You just don't have to deal with people. But also, don't forget, like. I was working with the Broncos when they won Super Bowl 50. I actually got to ride on one of the fire trucks with uh, Broncos alumni there um, during the parade. That's awesome. That, that's an I, experience I got, you will never forget. I got the bucket list thing. I went to not only went to a parade, but actually got to ride on one of the vehicles for the parade. Did you have like candy you were throwing to the crowd, or were you just waving to everyone? What was your what was your uh, two hours on the fire truck like that day. Taking pictures, getting video, talking to those guys. I got to try on Rick uh, Upchurch's 1977 AFC Championship ring. That's very cool. It's pretty awesome. Oh, that's cool. Okay, well, see, but see, here's the thing. You are parade spoiled. So you right. know, you, you've seen how you do a parade from the very tippy top. Yeah, I, it's just, I, I, you know, I, at being amid the crowds and all that and, you know, I, I'm not a big crowds person anyway, so it's going to be crowded tomorrow. It's, we'll we'll see. Yeah. You know, could it get to a million? I've heard some chatter about that. We'll have to see how it shakes out. Avs had about five hundred thousand last year, and that's the thing. The Avs had a city and county of Denver estimated five hundred k for the Avs. They estimated a million for the Broncos. The late Tom Kensler, remember him? He's oh, yeah. for the Post. Yes, sir. Uh, Tom apparently uh, had an email that he sent to Scott Monster, the editor, sports editor of the Post, explaining how there weren't actually a million people downtown for the Broncos parade. Um. I tend to agree with Tom on this, that there probably weren't actually a million people downtown for that. It's just fun to say. Yeah, the number, you know, it's an impossible estimate. I don't even know how you begin to make it unless you have someone in the highest building counting and doing like you're counting the candy in the candy jar. Guess the contest. You're estimating based on ridership like via RTD. You're estimating on on people parking in the downtown area that that's the sort of there are ways you can kind of get to a rough area all right i i did just get a text from a family member okay uh, i'm gonna read this to you real quick pretty funny 
I just got off the train at the airport, and Michael Hancock is still saying the Nuggets are in the Western or the Nuggets are Western Conference champions and need to go win the final. Oh come on, get on the ball, DIA. <sighs> All right. Uh, it, it's yeah. been it's been what forty eight hours they've been champions. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll remind my wife to listen for that when she flies in on Friday into town on Friday. Um, You'll have to let us know if it's updated by that. Yes, that that's I'm going to tell her that that's her job when she comes in. Tell me what the message on the DIA train is by Friday. It sure as heck had better have been changed. I, I'm not going to lie, I'm, a, so. I'm a little disappointed it hasn't been changed yet. Should have been the- should have been ready to go immediately. That they uh, they are still in the Western Conference Final, according to the train at DIA. Excuse me, they're still in the NBA Final. But luckily, the Nuggets have won it. Uh, that sentence still doesn't feel real, Mace. James Merrillat and I talked about this for an hour last night of, like, I still feel like, oh, there's another series they have to play because this doesn't happen to the Denver Nuggets. I think tomorrow, my friend, that's when it's going to sink in. When you see them up on the parade or up on the stage at Civic Center Park, smoking the cigars, drinking the champagne, talking to the crowd, that's when it's going to hit me the Denver Nuggets are NBA champions. And is it just me or do the NBA celebrations tend to be the wildest? They've been some crazy ones over, over the years. years. Yeah. But but they got a high bar to clear because that Avs one the was Avs insane. One, the, 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 and the Avs one was off the charts. Um, I know the Lightning with their boat parade was kind of an all-timer. And then the Avs took it to another level last year. So who do you yeah. want to hear from the most, Smile? Who Who's the guy that he gets the microphone and you're, you're sitting down at Broncos going, turn that TV up because I got to hear what this guy has to say. I've got to hear how Nicole Jokic is up there. Oh, man, he's going to be so good. Yeah. Especially if he's having a good time and he's a little loosey-goosey. That's what I'm talking about. He's had had, had a couple of spiritus beverages. I think we may get some all-time stuff from Jokic. Oh, man, you got me excited now. And you know none of it will be rehearsed. It's Nikola, obviously. It'll all be off the cuff, and it could be spectacular. He's just got this wonderfully wry sense of humor, but what is he going to be like when he's really uncorked? And then he's going to get on a plane and go back to Serbia and be with his horses, and we'll see him again in three months. It'll be great. Although we, he might have some big games before then if he goes and plays for Serbia uh, coming up here in some uh, national team stuff because you got uh, you got Olympic qualifying coming up as well. So there's, uh, we, we might see Jokic playing some games in the next few months internationally. All right, we'll see you at the parade tomorrow. For Sydney, for Mace, I'm Will. It's Denver Sports Tonight on The Fan.